Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Let's stop there. This is what Daniel's telling the king. So, context. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him uh, greatly. It said his, his, his sleep left him. Uh, his state of, of mind was troubled. He, he despaired. He, uh, he was in, in distress. He called in all of his wise men, sorcerers, Chaldeans, enchanters, all these advisors, dream interpreters, to find out what, what this dream meant. And he threw them kind of a curveball by saying, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Well, you can imagine if that was your... Yes, sir. I don't believe Daniel was was one of the originals that 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 went in to the king that he called in. Remember Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the four uh, exiles, young, probably teenage exiles that had gone to Babylon with that that first captivity in about 605 BC had gone through the school of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a, a, a brainwashing, an indoctrination, a, a, an education designed to make them Babylonians. Maybe not by blood, but to, to make them uh, useful to the king as he uh, wanted them to assimilate into that culture and, and, and then be his tools for, for indoctrinating other Israelite exiles that were there. I mean, it was, it was a good plan. But God had placed these four men in that group that went through that school, and Nebuchadnezzar really didn't know what he was asking for when, he, when, he cho when those were chosen. So Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, called in all the wise men. Tell me the dream. Tell me its interpretation. If you can't, you're going to be torn limb from limb, and your houses are going to be made a, a pile of rubble. A they said, we can't do it. Three times he challenged them with that same thing, and, and it said at, the, at the, that last time he became... Angry and furious. He's just having kittens. He's beside himself with, with, with anger. And so he commands all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. That's when we, we, we meet Daniel, the, the captain of the guard, the executioner. Uh, Arioch comes to Daniel's door, knocks on it, says, let's go. Daniel's like, what, what are we doing? Why is this so urgent? And he explains to Daniel the, the king's decree, what's happened. And, and Daniel, it, it, it seems from, from verse 16, goes into the king and asks for time that he might uh, show the interpretation of the dream. 
And Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel time. Nebuchadnezzar did not want to give the wise men time. He wants them to respond like this. But God gave Daniel favor in the sight of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar gives him time. Daniel goes back to his house, his friend's house, and, and they have a prayer meeting. And, and they pray to, to God, seeking, seeking mercy concerning the mystery. God answers that prayer, said, in a vision of the night. This is a vision of the night. I'm going to say that was a dream and, 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 and step out and say, they prayed and then they went to sleep. They were that confident in God being able to answer that prayer. And Daniel himself then had a dream. And, and God told him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and, and the interpretation of the dream. They got up, ran immediately to the king and told him all the good news, right? No, Daniel paused. And we have there uh, in, in verses 20 to 23 a psalm of Daniel, of Daniel's prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God for giving him the, 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 the answer. That's kind of the, 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 the context. And they go in. And, and, and Daniel tells the king, first off, Arioch says, I found somebody that can tell you the dream and interpret the dream. Well, Daniel basically had gone to Arioch. Arioch didn't really find him. He, you could say, well, he stumbled onto him because he was there to kill him. But, but this was uh, Arioch just trying to gain favor, it would seem, in, in the sight of the king. Arioch takes Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, can you make known to me the dream and its interpretation? Daniel says, no man can do this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And then he, he tells him, here is your dream. So in, in verse 31, we, we have the dream the beginning of Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar the dream, but also the interpretation of the dream. It's kind of interesting that, that the chapter opens with Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael being in danger of their lives. It's going to end with those four guys being elevated to high positions in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar because of, of, of God uh, giving them favor and, and choosing to, to, to use them, choosing them for, for that, that high position. So verse 31, you saw, O king, the new King James says, you, O king, were watching I don't want to go too fast past that because it's, it's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is what in all of this event? He's a spectator. He is the most mighty king on the earth, certainly in the ancient Near East at the time. He's conquered Assyria and Egypt and... and, and, and um, Israel and other surrounding nations. He's, he's the top dog. He, he has the power of life and death over all these wise men, over thousands and thousands of, of people. And yet 
when this dream happens, he's a spectator to the things that are going on in, in this dream. As, as we go through the dream, he's never going to be anything but a spectator. He's, he's just going to, he's going to watch as all of these things happen by the, 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 the power of God. So, okay, let's, 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 let's move on. So, he, so he, Daniel says, you saw this, you, you beheld this, you were watching these things happen, this, this image, it was mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. So, so, so picture that. That's kind of what's got Nebuchadnezzar, I think, all upset. The image but then we're going to see later what happens to that, to that image, to that statue that, that gets him upset. Verse 32, the head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of, of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled, and filled the earth. This was the dream now we will tell the king its interpretation. So Daniel starts, he does what Nebuchadnezzar asked. Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to tell me the dream. He challenged all the Chaldeans, all the wise men. They couldn't do it. They said, there's no way we can do it. Only the, only the gods could do this and they don't live uh, with men. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who can show this. And Daniel's God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, lives among men. He, he, he has relationship with, with men and women, and, and, and Daniel knows that. So Daniel had, had told that to the king. He, he goes in before the king, and he, he describes then this image. What would Nebuchadnezzar be thinking at the end of, okay, in the middle of verse 36? This was the dream. If you were Nebuchadnezzar sitting there, you had challenged all these wise men, guys that had been on your payroll for years and years and years. They can't come through. Here comes this 19, 20-year-old exile from, from Jerusalem who's been through your school, and, and he, he tells you that there is a God in heaven that can do, that can tell you these things. And then he goes on and describes that dream, tells Nebuchadnezzar basically word for word exactly what he had dreamed. How wide was, would his mouth have been open with just, oh my gosh, he got it. Now, if, if he has the dream, then is Nebuchadnezzar going to have any doubts about the interpretation 
I don't, I don't think so. I think you'd just have, you'd have to be a total bozo to not believe the interpretation after somebody told you your dream. Has anybody ever told you one of your dreams? I mean, it doesn't happen. It, I mean, I rarely remember my own dreams. How can somebody else tell me what my dream was? So Nebuchadnezzar's probably just sitting there just, just astounded and, and amazed that, oh my goodness, he did it. Is he starting to think Daniel is, is right about which God, the only God, can, can, can do something like this? I think it's the end of chapter four before Nebuchadnezzar is really convinced that that is the true God, but, and, and, and we'll get there in a few weeks. So Daniel has Nebuchadnezzar's full attention after he tells him the, the, the dream. This is, this was your dream. Ian Duguid says that the dream and, and the interpretation were actually quite simple if we focus on the central message. Yet, at the same time, it's, they are incredibly profound. So I'm going to focus on the simple part, and, and you can focus on the profound part as we, as we go, go through this. Here's the interpretation, verse, verse 36. He said, now we will tell the king its interpretation. It's sort of an editorial we, a we as in God speaking through. Daniel, maybe Hanani, uh, Misael, and Azariah are with him. They had certainly been there in, in his prayer meeting. And then at the end when Daniel kind of puts in a request for them, uh, you, you maybe, maybe they're standing there with him. Verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, over them all, you are the head of gold. So remember, Daniel had told him what the image was. It's, it's this image that its head is gold, its, its chest and arms are silver, its abdomen and thighs are bronze, its legs and, and feet, well, its legs are iron, and then its, its feet are iron mixed with clay. So Daniel says, working backwards, you are the head of gold. If Daniel didn't have Nebuchadnezzar's attention when he told him the dream, when he told him you're the head of gold, now he's like his best friend forever. Of course I'm the head of gold. That's the only part I really understood. I mean, he just, he, you know Nebuchadnezzar's, his, his ego. He's, he's the ruler of the world and and that part he probably at least hoped was, was the case, that I, I got to be the head of gold. Who else could it be? It, it, it could be no one except, except me. But notice what he tells him before.
You, O king, you're the king of kings. And really he was, lowercase k, he is the dominant king there. He's conquered, uh, you know, the, 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 the world there around Babylon, the, the ancient Near East. But notice how Daniel says where that power came from, where his, his kingdom came from. The God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might and the glory to you. The same God who revealed these, this, this dream and the interpreta interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar the power that he has. The God of heaven, yeah. The Babylonians worship what, among other things? The heavens, the stars, the, the constellations. Daniel is going beyond that and saying, the God of all of those things, the God who created all of those things. It, it just struck me when uh, Corey's passage this morning and, and, the, and the similarities, the, I'm having a really hard time with this. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Just real quick, let's just interject this. Colossians 1 verse 15, speaking of, of, of Jesus, of the Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of what? An image of this statue of, and, and we're going to see it's going to be kingdoms. And then Paul goes on, he says, He's the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Daniel tells, doesn't Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar basically the same thing? That you have this power because God has given it to you. He, he's given you... Uh, the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, all, whatever it is, he has given wherever they dwell, children of man, beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, making you rule over all of them. It's also sort of a, um, um, there's, a, there's a similarity between this and Genesis 1 and what God told Adam. God gives Adam dominion over all of these things. The, the, the beasts of the field, the, the birds of the sky, all of these things. And, and, and Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar that, that all of these things God has given you the power, the might, the glory. God has given these things, put these things under your control. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Verse 39, after, no, that's not after, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. 
And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these things. As you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, and they will not hold together, just as the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure." Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was. Since he knows that, the interpretation is also sure. He says, this is, this is it. The dream is certain. What I've told you about the dream is certain. And the interpretation is, is, is sure. It's, it's true also. So what, how do you, how do you approach this dream and interpretation. Daniel is there before the, the most powerful king in, in, in the world. And, and the king was ready to execute all of the wise men. And God gave Daniel the answer to what the king wants. And, and, and Daniel goes in and tells him, here's the dream. You dreamed of a statue. The head was gold. You are the head of gold. Gold being the, 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 the most valuable metal, at least in that time. It's not too far down the list now. You're the head of gold. But after you, another kingdom is going to arise. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that this statue represents four kingdoms. The head of gold, the, the silver, the bronze, and then the iron, and then the iron mixed with clay. What are they? They're successive kingdoms. He, he doesn't really spell it out. It's, when we, is it chapter 7 where you have Daniel's own vision of the, of the beast coming out of the sea that's, that's a little more, not easy, but I almost define what, what those kingdoms are. But these are successive kingdoms. So you have Babylon is the head. After that, he says another kingdom. The Medes and the Persians are, are most likely that second kingdom is the Medes and the Persians. And then what's next? The bronze would be, the third kingdom would be Greece which shall rule over all of the earth. Alexander the Great came from, from Macedonia and Greece and went all the way to India. 
stopped at the Indus River in, in like 333 BC. There was nothing else to conquer. He said as, as a 20-something year old, he cried because there was nothing else to conquer. It says that, 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 that gr the Grecian Empire was even greater. After that, it's going to be a fourth kingdom, which would be Rome. It's as strong as iron. It just breaks into pieces everything. Nebuchadnezzar is, is hearing that. He knows it's right. But then what happens? After this, this, this fourth kingdom is there, well, he, 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 he continues and he says, the feet and the toes are, they're a mixture of the potter's clay and the iron. It's going to be a divided kingdom. And that, that that fits Rome also and just the, uh, the, 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 the intermingling of, of peoples, that, it, that, that there was just no real unity there, that it, that it became brittle because of the, uh, just, just their, their nature, their um, joining in other, other nations. And then so, okay, so you've got the, the, the vision, you've got the statue, he sees it getting what? Progressively, maybe, it says inferior. Goes from gold to silver to bronze to iron to iron and clay. That it's each kingdom is inferior in many ways. They, they have land mass, they have power. They have might, but, but they're, they're each one inferior designated by those metals that, that are used. Until finally Nebuchadnezzar's sitting there, and what happens? This little bitty rock is cut out. By, it's cut out, but not by a human hand. And it, and it hits the statue. And the statue becomes dust, basically. It says like the, 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 the chaff of the summer on the summer threshing floor. And it's all blown away. And then that stone grows into a great mountain and fills the whole earth. Verse 44, he said, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut by a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to you, to the king, what shall be after this. So, that settles everything, right? I mean, it's... it's, it's easy to understand. What are we to do with this? 
what, how, how do we approach this dream, the interpretation? What does it teach us? Okay, I'm going to fire off as many questions as I can in like 30 seconds. What is the main point of the dream and the interpretation? Who is, what part of the dream and the interpretation is the main character? Going in, Nebuchadnezzar thinks, it's me. It's the head. It's the head of gold. The hand? The people of God are the statue. It's always Jesus. Wasn't that like <laughs> Corey's deal? Like, anyhow, um, yeah, that's it. It's like when you're in Sunday school, that's so silly. You're in Sunday school and somebody asks a question, it's like, if you say Jesus, then you're, you're probably never wrong. <laughs> the, the, the main character, the main point is the stone. Who does the stone represent? Jesus. The stone that the builders, Psalm 118, that the builders rejected is the cornerstone. Who does the statue represent? The statue represents what? Earthly kingdoms, one after another. The people, the people that live. The, the head is supposed to be the king. They're the head is Nebuchadnezzar and slash Babylon. Right. So who, 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 the, who, what is the statue itself that crumbles? That crumbles uh -huh. all earthly kingdoms, okay. all, all of them. Some of them are past. Some of them are present. Some of them are future. I mean, we can, it's easy to interpret the part that's past. I mean, we can see, okay, this has got to be Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Speaking of going through time. We're the future. We are the future for, from Daniel's perspective. Yes. But there could be other kingdoms that, that arise even after the United States of America. Who did we replace in world power and, and dominance? Great Britain. Great Britain. You know, that before yeah. World War II, Britain was the superpower. And, and you know... Now, for this little while, we, we have or had, depending on your perspective, today. Okay, but what? think about this also. These kingdoms become what? Bad question. I'll tell you the answer. You, you tell me the question. Each kingdom is inferior to the one before it. Starts with gold, then it goes to silver. Ah, eh, silver's, you know, not that great. I mean, you're not going to throw it away. And then it's bronze, and then it's iron, and iron is strong. And it said it chewed up all of this stuff, but each one's inferior. What is that, just the statue and the nature of it becoming more and more inferior? 
What can we imply from that? What can we glean from that? Stink. Oh no. <laughs> There's a working part of your body. Without your feet, you cannot go around. Why did the feet in this what do you think is the reason why the feet are the most susceptible, weakest point? They're holding up everything. And, and they're, the they're the foundation. But they're brittle. They're brittle. So what interpret that? <laughs> interpret that? They're brittle. That's a very good question. Why, is, why did the, the feet become the weakest point? Able to be... All of these are what? They are earthly kingdoms. Right. The world's not getting any better. The world's not getting any better. We are regressing. And they become yeah. symbolic. And the feet are... They, indi- they show you just how... Fragile, the earthly kingdoms are. I mean, that's a that's a very good point. They're they're like that, and so this image shows how unstable, unreliable, fragile, brittle, temporal, all earthly kingdoms are. And if the stone represents Christ, and Christ destroys all the kingdoms. Uh huh. We have nothing left but Christ. Uh huh. We have what? We have when when the stone crushes the statue, and it crumbles. The kingdom of God is established. Are we we're not going to finish this today. Are we going to finish this today? I don't, I don't know exactly how to start it like next week. We're really in the good part. Why did it take this me this long to get to the good part? I, I mean, so we could, so I could leave you hanging for. <laughs> so, so, what? The, okay, just just a couple of things, and then 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 it's going to be time. We're going to have to look at this again. I don't know where we're going to start, but. Main points. Throw, throw out the main point. Not, I'm not saying throw them away. Give me the main points so far. Well, you and, you, and you don't have to go in order. You just gave them. The main point is the stone, God's kingdom, shatters and destroys all of the other kingdoms. And the kingdoms get weaker and weaker and weaker. Right. Now, starting with... The Enlightenment of of the 19th century, and and thinking of man becoming more intelligent and brighter and being able to solve his own problems, we we think our thought process and patterns of thinking has been so impacted by the Enlightenment that was going on around the time of. It's slightly after our revolution that we think things are going to get better. We're on an upward progression of, of the city of man, the kingdom of, of man. But what does this show? 
we are regressing. Like, like Nina said, the kingdoms are getting worser and worser and worser. Is that the right word? Yeah. Worse, worse, worse. It's getting worse. And, and, each, and each kingdom does that. If Christ is represented in the stone uh-huh. today, who's throwing the stone? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Everyone can come up with an answer. Who's throwing the stone? The, okay. That we'll, we'll ponder that one. I mean, I know who, who it is. I mean, the answer is always Jesus, right? He is the stone? Okay. You said Christ was represented as the stone. So who's throwing the stones back? Who set up all of these kingdoms? God. God. God set up all of these kingdoms. These kingdoms are getting, they're regressing. They're getting sins, worse and worse. He sends now to throw the stone again. Once again. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I would answer, but we're out of time. Go, Bob. And it's, this is hard to get your brain around. All of the, this statue, it doesn't, the stone doesn't hit the head and it goes away. And then the chest and arms and they go away. And then the abdomen and legs and they go away. And then the, or the, you know what I'm saying. The stone hits all of them at one time and then they crumble and blow away. Man, that is a good homework, you know. Yeah, it kind of does. So, John. If you read a little further, uh, it says the stone was broken off or cut out without a hand touching it. Well, I don't think anyone throws it. Christ is the stone. Crushes them. He doesn't have to be thrown because he is more powerful. Sandy, you missed it. John just answered the question. Okay, okay. That, that, and that's exactly right, that the stone is uncut by human hands and the stone does the work, and then the stone, what, grows into this great mountain. God, okay, let's, we'll, we'll spend a little more time next week in chapter 2.